This is episode number 323, Just Keep Pedaling, with Freedom Solar CEO, Brett Biggert. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are a part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. I think the beauty of the recovery thing is it's helped give me a different way to think about myself and the way I relate to people in this world and what that means. And there's things on my side of the street that I'm responsible for my actions and there's things that are not, right? There's things that I can turn over. And whether you're in recovery or not, every day we get to deal with that challenge of what's in my control that I need to focus on or work on. And then what are the things that are flat out beyond my control that worrying about it does absolutely nothing to the outcome. And that's been a really valuable skill set because yes, it's important in recovery stuff, but by the way, it happens to be a really important characteristic to running a successful life, <laughs> like being able to like see through the things that really matter versus the things that are just creating stress that I just can't change the outcome of at all. I'm so excited about today's episode because Brett is such an incredible human being and his story is so inspiring. I love podcasts because the type of information that we consume, whether it be the things that we listen to or the things that we read or the things that we see, help us realize what's possible for ourselves. And today's story is one that will maybe help you rethink what's possible for you. Brett Biggert is the CEO of Freedom Solar, who is also a podcast sponsor with almost 1,000 employees. That's a lot of people to manage. He is most proud of the culture at Freedom Solar, which has been named one of the best places to work in Austin for two years running. Brett is also an adventurer. He has done Leadville multiple times. He does the Baja 1000, which is an annual Mexican off-road motorsport race. And every year he sets new goals to try to go after something different to help him stretch his limits. There's quite the intersection between business and athletics, and you will hear about some of that today. We got into a lot of meaningful topics today, things like navigating expectations. We talked about Brett's journey to sobriety and what it means to be in recovery. We also talked about going after big things and his journey to becoming the CEO of Freedom Solar. There's a couple key takeaways that I got from listening to Brett on other podcasts and from this episode. One of them is putting gratitude before expectations. And the other is that people move at the speed of pain. So I'll let you chew on that for a couple of seconds. If you're enjoying today's podcast episode, make sure that you subscribe to my weekly newsletter at sonyalooney.com newsletter, where I talk about motivation, mindset, and the cross-section of high performance and well-being. And there's a lot of interesting topics when it comes to well-being and also what it means to strive in a healthy way. So go to sonyalooney.com newsletter to get a weekly article written by me. How are you feeling? How is your energy going? Well, a lot of times our energy might be a little bit lower because our nutritional needs aren't being met. And a great way to get some nutritional insurance is to take a supplement. I am always a proponent of eating whole foods first before going to supplements, but a lot of us will take a supplement and I am in that camp as well. 
I started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens because I wanted to check all of the boxes. And with AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. And adaptogens is something that I think is a game changer. It's really helped me, and they have a lot of them in AG1. Not only that, but this special blend of ingredients supports gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy, recovery, focus, aging, all the things. There's a lot of different benefits to taking AG1. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs to help you with your first purchase. And a lot of us travel around the holidays, so it might be good to throw some of these travel packs in your bag when you're going through the airports and just to make sure that you are checking the boxes, especially on travel day. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Sonia. And again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Sonia to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Another partner of the show is Inside Tracker. And Inside Tracker is a company that I've been working with since 2017. I've done 10 total tests with them to analyze over 43 biomarkers to make sure that everything is looking good and in line. Things like stress, things like training load, things like having a baby, those can send your biomarkers out of whack. So knowing where you're at and then knowing what you need to do in order to improve upon them is really helpful. Inside Tracker's app is awesome because it gives you daily recommendations of what you can do, whether it's supplements, whether it's nutrition, whether it's lifestyle changes to improve upon those biomarkers. A lot of times if you go to the doctor and get a blood test, number one, the reference ranges are going to be set so that you are going to be alive, not so that you're going to be performing optimally or whatever your goal might be. And you can set what your goal is in the Inside Tracker app. Another thing is that a lot of times if you get blood work from a doctor, you're not going to get all of these different biomarkers. You're just going to get a CBC and some of the basics. So I love this test because with the blood work, it is comprehensive. They also offer inner age and DNA testing. So if this is striking your fancy, make sure you go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia to get 20% off their entire store. Now is a great time to take charge of your health, and this is one great way to do so. So go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia in order to do so, and make sure you also check out their Black Friday sale. All right, so let's get into today's episode with Brett. Brett, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. I first learned about you from Jonathan Levitt from the For the Long Run podcast. So I'll go ahead and plug that podcast because it's fantastic. And I was so excited to hear your story and to learn about you. And there's something that you said in that podcast that really stuck with me. And I wrote it down and I've actually brought it up multiple times since. And you said, I try to put my gratitude before my expectations. Mm. Can you talk about that? <laughs> sure. Um... Uh, it's a great, that's a great reminder for me to, to listen to my own messaging every once in a while. Today's one of those days, <laughs> you know, it's just all about at the end of the day for me to come back to this idea that I've been given a lot of gifts. Um, and we wake up every day and take those for granted. I certainly do. Um, I was in the hospital this weekend with my mom and she's, you know, paralyzed on the right side of her body and she fell down and she broke a bunch of ribs and her neck and you know, it's got a lot of physical things going on that are really tough and she can't, you know, get dressed and make a meal or go on a run or ride a bike or all these things that um, we take for granted. And so it's just amazing how often I know for me, um, I can get kind of wrapped up in my own stuff 
whatever my own stuff is during the day. Um, and I can lose perspective of like what gifts I've been given, which there are tons of, and we've all been given gifts, um, whether we like to recognize them or not. And so this idea of being in a moment of gratitude or hopefully in more than just a moment of gratitude to be like, you know, I've got a lot of stuff in the grand scheme of things that really matter, um, that are really lovely things that I take for granted that I'm maybe not going to take for granted today and be appreciative of. And it makes all those little things that I'm usually wrapped around the axle about seem much smaller and keeping that perspective of being grateful as opposed to wrapped around the axle about the small things is what that phrase means. And it's, it's just something I, you know, I wish that by default, I did that every day. I wish that by default, I could wake up as a super, you know, overwhelmed with gratitude every morning and I could, you know, do that, but it, it has to be something that I consciously think about. Um, you know, it's amazing. Sometimes, uh, I can wake up in the morning and, you know, we, we joke about this in the program of recovery that you can be consumed by yourself a lot. I'm consumed by myself and my own nonsense. And I wake up in the morning sometimes and I'm already wrapped around the axle about whatever it is I haven't done or need to do or my to-do list, so to speak. And I can, you know, get to the shower and I can kind of maybe decompress for a moment and be like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. And then by the time I get to work, I can be all wound up again. You know, and so it's like these, these cycles that just happen day to day for me of like trying to get, I get wound up and then I have to like, you know, release the pressure a little bit and then wound up and release the pressure. And so, you know, when you're doing this right, you're not wound up so much. <laughs> and part of that has to do with gratitude for sure for me. Yeah. I think a lot about expectations, um, and how, expectations, whether they're our own personal expectations of ourselves or expectations from others and how it creates so much pressure. It makes it hard to breathe. And like what you just said about being wound up and wrapped around the axle and like, it's really hard to decouple yourself from that. And it's something that doesn't come naturally to most of us. No, it's, it's funny. I, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone and he is a great guy and he just got, uh, he's the CEO of a company he was, and they just let him go. And he was calling me and he was pretty upset about the whole thing as anyone would be. And part of his conversation with me was like, well, you know, what are people going to think and blah, blah, blah. And I reminded him that like, buddy, the expectations that you set are like in your head, in the reality, like no one really cares. <laughs> Everybody wants you to be, you know, the fact that you're healthy and you're okay and your life is good. Like people, you know, things, people lose jobs and tough stuff happens all the time, but like people don't really care. Those are expectations you have in your own head. It's going to be okay. But yeah, the expectations we have internally can be, I like to say a lot of times, sometimes they can be a bit unrealistic. <laughs> they yeah. can, be, you know, it's like, I know you deal with this, but it's like, I have to be, you know, an exceptional dad and an exceptional CEO and an exceptional athlete and exceptional this and that. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, how about just pick one or two today? You know? Yeah. And so it's, it's one of these things I have to think about consciously. That's for sure. Yeah. Something else that I think about when I hear that exceptional. And so this is something I always have to ask myself is like, how am I trying to feel? Because if I want, if I'm trying to like achieve something or be exceptional at something, 
it's like, well, why am I doing that? What am I trying to feel inside by being exceptional and by getting there? And a lot of times, like when I get there, I don't, I still don't feel that way. So it's like, what can I do today so that I can feel, I don't want to say exceptional, but feel the way that I want to feel by achieving the thing. Totally. Totally. I mean, it's, you know, you get this as an athlete all the time, I'm sure, but it's like, you spend all this time, maybe trying to train for this event and then you do the event and you cross the finish line and I feel pretty good for 24 hours. And then it doesn't take but another day. And I'm like, okay, well, what is the next thing? I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, (laughs) is there a part here where I can just feel okay about my accomplishments and like feel some level of gratitude that like, it's enough. It's a, it's a weird thing. It's like, I think about this idea of solving for happiness a bunch more now that I'm 47 and like, what is happiness? mean how do you how do you get that and like, like and that's what i'm trying to solve for is um how can i just be happy or content or grateful today those things lead to, to to happiness for me and trying to do the things during the day that will solve for that and if i do that today and then i can maybe do that again tomorrow and i can string some get some days together i could you know feel like a happy guy and that's that's kind of what i'm solving for these days more than anything else yeah, I so with recovery, like I don't want to minimize at all people's experience and how incredibly difficult that is. And I I really love what I've learned from people who have gone through recovery because I think that there is a lot of lessons that everyone can learn from that, especially when you talk about self-focus and taking things one day at a time. So holding that, like can you tell us about your recovery story? Yeah, yeah. I'll start by saying I didn't get it on the first try. I think like a lot of folks, it took a little while for me to, to get to a point where I was ready to, where I was ready to try something different. Um, we, we call that in the, in the recovery world, moving at the speed of pain. You know, usually there has to be a sufficient, an absurdly high level of pain to be willing to make a big change. And there was for me. And so I'll maybe explain a little bit about what happened versus qualifying myself as an alcoholic or drug addict, because that's pretty easy to do, which I qualified as both those. And so um, I was 35 at the time that I that I got sober and have been sober since that point. So I'm 47 today. And for me, my story about that was I knew that I had this monster issue. Um, I knew something had to be done about it. I had tried to solve it on my own and was unable to do that multiple times. And I tried to solve it with the help of others, but wasn't a hundred percent committed to it. And so I finally got to a point where um, one day I went to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I had been using prescription drugs, which I was addicted to at that time. And I walked into that meeting and was the topic of the meeting was willingness and action. And you had to have both those things in order to get sober. You had to be willing to make a change, but you also had to have this thing of action where you were, you were going to do something about it. There were, there were specific steps that needed to be taken. And I had been willing for a long time. I just, the action part, I was, I was maybe a little paralysis by analysis. I just couldn't get to the action part sufficiently, whether I didn't know what to do or what I, if I would do it or just, you know, it was just overwhelming. All those things were probably true. And so this topic of willingness and action uh, was the meeting. And I sat on this meeting and there was a guy in the meeting who told my story, basically, that he had quit drinking, but was still struggling with drug use and was pretending to be sober, but he wasn't. And he finally got 100% honest. And in doing that, he was able to get cleaned up and was sitting there sober and had told the story. 
And so I left that meeting and I texted myself about willingness and action that you had to have both those in order to be sober. And then I texted myself about this guy, Nick, that I met who basically told my story. And I thought to myself, if he could do it, then I know I could do it. And so I, I drove home and I walked through the front door and my wife at the time was like, you seem like you're a little spun up on drugs. Did you take more than you're supposed to take to take today or what's the deal? And I looked at her and lied. And in that process, she immediately went out to my truck, you know, opened the center console of my truck, found more pills in there that I, you know, had gotten because it was, you know, that, that part of addiction, you're like, for me, I was, you know, you have, I had all these doctors and all of these lies and all the things that kind of come with hardcore addiction where, you know, I, I just being dishonest with somebody was just not out of the ordinary. And so I was dishonest with her and said, no. She walked out to my truck, came back in, threw the bottle of pills at me and said, um, I'm done. And uh, there was a level of, we had had an I'm done conversation a lot, um, but there was a tone in her voice, which maybe was, I could tell was very serious. And it was also the first uh, birthday of my daughter, Louise. And so that was my, that was my sobriety day. That was the last day that I used. And at that point I begged her and said, listen, just give me 30 days to kind of get it together. And she said, well, you're gonna have to call your sponsor now and tell him the truth, which I did. I called my sponsor and he said, okay, we'll come over tomorrow and we'll start doing the steps. You know what needs to happen. So I went over to his house and we did step work. And then there were only two things that I knew to do. One of them was to exercise a little bit, which I was okay at doing. And so I went and ran the town lake here in Austin and went to meet my sponsor. And then I came home and I took the shower and I, I've maybe mentioned this story on the podcast that I did before that I had this burning bush moment. It's just my story. I'd never, I'm not a, you know, I don't consider myself to be a religious guy or had I definitely hadn't had a burning bush moment in my life. And I'm taking a shower and I, I had this feeling inside, like I'm out of answers. I'm out of all my old ideas, my old, you know, big plans and ideas. Uh, I was just, the quiver was empty. Like I just didn't have anything else to pull from. And so at that moment, I had this moment of feeling like, well, I guess I should try this. And I heard this voice say, so long as you're hundred percent honest, I'll take care of you. And that was a hugely relieving feeling. I, I now consider that to be what we call in recovery, a moment of surrender, right? I'm, I'm really, I don't have any more answers and I'm willing to try something new. And that was a hugely relieving feeling for me. Like, I don't have to do this alone. Okay, well, all I have to do is do this and be honest and give it 100% and try it. Like, I, I don't have anything to lose at this point. And so I did. And so for the next two weeks or so, I would just go to my sponsor's house. I would do step work, go to meetings, do recovery stuff. And I would go to Town Lake and run. And I'd come and sleep. And it took, it took about two to three weeks for me to start feeling like a normal person again, like normal range of emotion. And sure enough, it started to come back. I started to feel like a normal person. I could be happy and sad and excited and uh, lazy or whatever the feeling was. And I could feel those moments. And I, I saw a light at the end of the tunnel. And sure enough, after 30 days, there I was. I had 30 days that I'd put together of consecutive days of sobriety. And I felt pretty good. I had hope that it was going to be okay for the first time in my life. And if you would have written, if you were to give me a piece of paper and say, Brett, write down the best outcome you could possibly think of for your life right now and just put it on a piece of paper for me. 
I would have written something that would have been very confined to what I'd experienced at that time, which was, you know, maybe go get another finance job and blah, blah, blah. And my life today, you know, has been a, a thousand times, I think would be maybe an accurate multiple of like how much better I could have ever expected it to be in every way, shape or form. So everything from like how I feel on the inside to how my relationships are on the outside to opportunities that have arisen to experiences that I've had to career aspirations, to health things, to sports things, everything has been so much better than I could have ever written down on a piece of paper for you, even in what I would describe as the best outcome that I feel just incredibly grateful <laughs> Come back to my, that I was willing to get out on a limb and be vulnerable and say, I'm, I'm done. And I'm willing to, I'm willing to not know what's on the other side of this door, but I'm willing to walk through it. And what I've, what I've walked through and into has been like, even its worst days today are better than the best days before. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hugely grateful for the recovery community, my experience, what that's meant. My family has been like, you know, this is a genetic thing. And so I come from a line of people that were, didn't have recovery, right. That they just killed them. You know, my brother's out today. He's a couple of years younger than I am. He's, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen to him. I, you know, the most likely outcome today is that he ends up in jail or dead. My dad drank himself to death in 2017. And so I've seen what happens when you, when you don't have the experience that I've had. And so I, I think in a way, while those things are really sad and um, have been very difficult, they're also really inspiring because my kids who are young, that are, they're 12 and nine today, and they've never had to see me drunk or using that they remember my daughter was one. And so you know, it, it helps keep things in perspective for me, which is, wow, if that, if my kids just don't have to see that, that's a great outcome, no matter what happens. And so anyway, this recovery thing has been, it's just such a huge part of my life. I, I you're asking me the question. So I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I try not to like, it's such a big part of my life that I, uh, it's easy for me to talk about it. I love to talk about it because I think one of the differences maybe between my dad's generation and, and my generation is that people are a lot more open about their sobriety. And, you know, this stuff touches one in five people. So, you know, lots of people out there are impacted by this, um, whether personally or their family or somebody's going through it. And it's a really, really tough thing to reconcile because it's a really hardcore addiction that or a hardcore disease that, that doesn't it doesn't reconcile with rationality. So the actions people take just don't make any sense. And they're really hard. Um, it's really hard to be around, really hard to be around. Um, and all the things that come with that sadness and depression and all the things that you just can't, can't believe are happening with somebody who's an addiction. And so today, I think a lot more people are open about that and their struggles and the experiences they've had. And so the reason I'm open about it is I just feel like um, there's so many people that are impacted in a negative way by this. If I would have been exposed to examples of people who had gotten through this 
earlier in life, it would have made it more easier for me to do. And so my dad never had that. There was never, I never remember a time where he was like, oh, so-and-so was in recovery or had quit drinking. And so my generation, I feel like there's a lot more openness to this sobriety thing, which I think is a great thing just because it impacts a lot of people. And so anytime I can talk about it in my experience, it's, it's literally, I, I just had an, I was just interviewing a guy before this call and I was describing a little bit about the culture at the, the company that I have. And I was listening to myself talk where you have a, a little bit of an out-of-body experience. <laughs> like, I was explaining a lot about the culture of our business today. And the culture of our business is pulled out of you know recovery stuff. Because I think it was maybe best. I was in this AA meeting in Aspen. And this guy walks in and he says, if alcohol is your problem, you may not be an alcoholic. And so it took a minute for my mind to wrap around that idea. If alcohol is your problem, you may not be an alcoholic. And what he meant by that is here I am in long-term sobriety. I haven't had a drink in a long time and I don't have the, the urge to have a drink, thankfully today. But I still wake up wrapped around the axle, like I just explained to you. And so if solving the drink or drug problem, if I just took those away and I went to Antarctica or Greenland or wherever it was, they didn't serve drinks, and there was no drugs. And I just lived there. It would not solve all my problems, right? My problem is inside me. And so what is the problem inside me? And so that's the beauty of recovery is you, you, as my sponsor, you know, does all the time. He wise me to death. You know, why, why do you feel, why is this happening? Why do you feel this way? Why, why, why? And we get down to the crux of the problem and, and it's always a Brett bigger problem. You know, it, it's always inside me and it usually has to do with fear, right? It's usually a fear-based problem. Like I'm not going to live up to my expectation, right? We started this conversation talking about expectations or I'm not going to I'm not going to be a good enough CEO, or I'm not going to be a good enough dad, or I'm not going to prioritize my things the way they should be. So it's just like all of this stuff. And if you gave somebody, which you know we've, we do in this program, you give somebody a pen and a piece of paper and say, write down all the things you're scared of. It ends up being a very long list of things, right? Everything from I'm scared of dying to um, I'm scared of, you know, whatever thing it is out there, right? And so I think part of the beauty of this recovery thing is you get to tap into that and you get to say, okay, in my example, Brett Bigger, you spent a large portion of your life trying to be a tough guy. I have a big beard. I do tough guy stuff. You know, I feel like I need to be a tough guy. Well, why? And if you just why that to death, the answer to that question is I'm actually scared on the inside. I actually have a lot of insecurities. Well, why? Well, they're in my head and I put them on myself. And the beauty of this program sometimes, um, because you can't do it on your own, you, you, you hear that a lot in recovery, like you can't, you need help, right? Why do I need help? Well, I need help in the beginning for the obvious reasons. And then and today, like, why do I still have to have a sponsor today? Because I can't grade my own paper. I'm unable to like look at my life objectively and my behavior and grade my own paper. And so I need someone to help me understand like, Hey, I've just treated this person this way. Does this seem like a, you know, <laughs> the right way to deal with this? Or am I thinking about this in some messed up way? And oftentimes the answer is I'm thinking of this in some messed up way. 
And so anyway, that's a long-winded way of answering your question, but I, I think the beauty of the recovery thing is it's helped give me a different way to think about myself and my the way I relate to people in this world and what that means. And there's things on my side of the street that I'm responsible for my actions. And there's things that are not right. There's things that I can turn over and whether you're in recovery or not, every day we get to deal with that challenge of what's in my control that I need to focus on or work on. And then what are the things that are flat out beyond my control that worrying about it does absolutely nothing to the outcome. And that's been a really valuable skill set because yes, it's important in recovery stuff, but by the way, it happens to be a really important characteristic to running a successful life, <laughs> like being able to like see through the things that really matter versus the things that are just creating stress that I just can't change the outcome of at all. And the program kind of helps do that. Um, it, it helps draw that line, which is hard for me to see sometimes. Yeah. It sounds like the process of recovery is almost a way of being in life. And that continues to be a way of being. And that going through recovery is really a lot about like taking responsibility for yourself. And then the the process of working towards self-actualization by asking, why am I doing this? Why am I like this? How, what do I need? Why am I treating others? And it's so hard to be honest with yourself. And it really sounds like for you, you know, seeing somebody that inspired you or you saw yourself in them helped you move into that action piece. Because I'm sure, as you alluded to, and with I've heard lots of people talk about, is like there's a lot of starting and stopping and like, okay, today's the last day that I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna wake up tomorrow, I'm gonna start fresh, I'm never doing this again. Yeah. But that time was the time that it actually stuck. Yeah, we it's easy to stop drinking and using, you know, it's very hard to stay stopped, right? Yeah. <laughs> a long period of consecutive time. Turns out that's the hard part. And yeah, I, I think that's right. It's like in my experience that I just explained, the guy that gave me hope that I could do it, I can't even tell you his last name. He was just a guy in a meeting named Nick who told a story in which he had the same experience I did, but was able to get sober bam, that opens the door for my little pea brain to be like, well, maybe I can do it. Yeah. And so, you know, there's just, uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's, that's the beauty of this program. And, and by me telling my story, maybe there's someone out there that's like, well, if this guy could do it, cause there's nothing extraordinary about me, if I could do it, anybody could do it. And so that's the beauty of the thing. It's, it's uh, it is a solution that is available to, to all of us. And I think more broadly, a lot of times people think like, well, I don't need to tell I'm not going to tell my story or I'm not going to do this thing that I'm passionate about or, you know, whatever it is that gets this person fired up in their life because it's not going to make a difference. Or people will say like, I, I find myself in this boat, like, well, I'm not making enough of a difference, but really if you could change one person's life, that's all that matters. And you might never even know that you changed somebody's life and you never know the impact that you're going to have on somebody by being authentic. Totally. It's this thing of, you know, vulnerability, right? If I'm vulnerable about my life and tell you how I really feel on the inside or the struggles that I'm really having, I'll say those out loud like this. And then maybe in a, in a recovery setting, someone else tells me their struggles, right? And is vulnerable with me. And, 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 and out of that becomes something healing. It's kind of a magical thing. Yeah. It's, it's hard to explain sometimes, but it, it's, it's always nice to know there's other people out there because so many, so much of the time we have all this stuff in our head 
whether it's fears or insecurities or expectation setting that's out of line or whatever, all this stuff that we have going on in our head. And to be able to like talk about it, especially the stuff that feels like the crazy stuff that goes through my head and to put, to put it out there and then someone else be like, Oh yeah, yeah. I had the same crazy thoughts, but here, here's what I realized. Like, turns out that's like, I, I actually looked at the results or I looked at the facts and it turns out to all be in my head. That's actually not the case. Like, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm smart enough, you know? Well, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, does it, how do you characterize that? Well, is it, you know, you, you did this, you did that. You have this, like, what are you talking about? But still, it's like, you know, I can still find myself doing that stuff. Yeah. Something that I've been really interested in is it's like a psychological term you've probably heard of called post-traumatic growth. I first read about it in this book, I think it was in 2012, but now it's becoming more like of a mainstream conversation. And it's basically people that have positive psychological changes in their life whenever something traumatic or really challenging happens to them. And the event itself doesn't create growth, but it's the processing and the meaning made from that event that happened so that the person can spring forward or spiral upward into a better situation, a better life and stories of post-traumatic growth. Like it could, it's just so cool to be like, so cool. So for you, like this, you've, you have had an upward spiral. It sounded like part of the upper spiral was going for runs and connecting to the full range of what it means to be human and feeling these emotions again. Can you talk about this? Like, post recovery process, because now it's like you've done Baja 100 multiple times. You do Leadville 100. You do all of these amazing challenges. You're the CEO of a, of a solar business, Freedom Solar. So like, how do you get from, I'm, I'm, you know, coming out of this place of starting to understand what it feels like to feel again, to I'm going to go after these really big things. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think about them. I think about them somewhat separately. But you're making me think about it in a way that I, the, the connection, I, I think a lot about what makes entrepreneurs successful, for example, like what is the thing, right? And there's been thousands of books written on trying to get to this answer. And some of them maybe have, it. but, but there's lots of people pontificating over the same, this question, which is like, what is the, what is that thing? What is that characteristic that really sets success apart from failure, for example, and for me, I think there's a little bit of this grinder thing inside of me. I would say the idea of, if you tell me I'm not going to be able to do something, like as a kid, I would always be the guy that was like, oh yeah, tell me I can't do it or not. That's going to be, that's like this weird motivation, right? It's just, I'm exactly the same way. Us, some of us have this, <laughs> right? It's, it's a little twisted and people that don't have it definitely cannot relate to it. But like, tell me I can't do something and let me show you what I'll do. And so, you know, I, I would say that the business or career stuff has been about the, the I, I would characterize the success that I've been able to experience. And, and there's been lots of pain along the way, um, has a lot to do. I, I characterize it in a word is, is grind. I, I don't mean that in, I don't mean that in a bad connotation. I, I, I mean, when you find out what you think you're going to do and you plant the flag on it and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to build a solar company. What I mean by the grinder mentality is uh, maybe I should recharacterize it as kind of a pit bull mentality. It's like, I'm going to get there and I'm just going to move mountains to make it happen. If that's what it takes and really focusing on that thing, 
And for me, that's what we did in my business experience. And then I would also say like, that is the same mentality that I think comes through in sports stuff, which is like, Hey, what is the biggest thing I could do? Could I go, you know, do the Ironman? Can I go do the Lead Bowl 100 or race the Baja 1000 or whatever it is? Those are like, those are like those, those mini experiences, right? For me where, Hey, let's go put a big flag out there. I'm going to go do this. How do I know I can do it? Because there's lots of other people out there that can do it. And so look, I'm going to go put in the hard work and see if I can go knock this thing down. And in doing that, you know, all the things that, you know, as a professional athlete, you get to experience in this like mini life of training for this thing and then doing it. And you have to be a pit bull, right? You have to, you know, you set your alarm every morning, you have to get up, you have to do your workout, you have to do this stuff, you have to have consistency, all these characteristics as you go do endurance athlete goals. And then you go do the event. Sometimes it goes your way. Sometimes <laughs> it does not go your way, just like in life, right? Sometimes it can be the most painful day in the world. And sometimes it could be the most glorious day you've ever had in your life. Sometimes it's those things combined in the same day, a couple times, right? <laughs> and so, you know, the kind of pit bull approach of like, hey, I'm just going to go see this thing through to the end. In my case, it's like, I don't care so much about the results. I just want to go do this thing and see if I can do it. And in doing that, you get to push yourself. You know, the Leadville 100 is a great experience that I I, I was talking to you right before for me, which was, man, you know, that race for me this year, I'd never gone to such a dark spot mentally, never gone to such a dark spot. And when I say dark spot, I mean, telling myself I'm going to quit, telling myself, you know, I have a weekly all hands call with all of our employees and they knew that I was doing the race. And so I was vocal about what I was trying to go do, partly because that held some level of accountability. But I mean, I went through the whole mental exercise of what I was going to say on the call to tell people that I couldn't finish to what I was going to tell my kids at the finish line about how sometimes in life you just can't do not. I mean, just all of this insanity went through my head, but all very negatively, you know, wrapped in, in this idea that I'm just not going to be able to do it. I'm just not going to be able to finish. And, you know, everything except pull that phone out of the back of my pocket and call, you know, the guy that I knew would pick me up on the side of the road and I would (laughs) wave the white flag and say, I'm done. And so, you know, but I kept thinking of what the guy said, who's the promoter of the race. He's so great, Ken. And he was like, look, you know, you've got to embrace some pain and you're going to, you got to make it your best friend and you got to just keep pedaling. And that phrase, just keep pedaling. That's all that little phrase. It was the difference between finishing the race and not finishing the race for me. That phrase was the difference between having to have a call with all my employees and saying I couldn't finish versus, wow, I got to finish this race and get outside my comfort zone and do something really cool. And so that little, it's funny, the little things that you can latch on to, to hold on to, like, just, just keep pedaling. Like, forget about your watch, forget about your heart rate, forget about all the statistics that you like to manage. Just cover it up with your sleeve and just pedal your bike. Your only job today is to finish this race. Whenever that happens, it happens. Just pedal. And so that was the experience that I had in that race was just keep pedaling. And, and, and I think about that a lot in life, which is like, I'm just going to keep pedaling. Like some days is just a, you know, it feels like a beating, like I'm just pushing mud uphill. 
but I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to keep this pit bull mentality of just pushing the ball forward. And I, I think that there's a huge difference between a lot of people aren't willing to do that. It's not necessarily that hard. I don't think, but it does take a little bit of a grinder or a pit bull mentality, which is like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep pedaling. And I know it hurts, but I'm just going to keep pedaling and I'm just going to, or I'm just going to keep going with this business idea or I'm just going to stay in the saddle a little bit longer with the change that's happening in work. Or I'm just going to stay in this relationship a little long. You know what I mean? It's that, it's that, I, I think that's, that's been a characteristic that's been, um, that I've kind of gained through sobriety that I try to use a bunch in my life. Yeah. It sounds like Angela Duckworth's version of grit, which is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. Amen. And, <laughs> and the, the, like the just keep pedaling mentality. I had a similar experience and I, I still think about this because I've, I've had my list of challenges in the last, you know, several years from having two pregnancies and, you know, pandemics yeah. and all, all the nine yard whole nine yards that a lot of people have also been through. But my first hundred mile race was the Breck 100, which I still think is like the hardest hundred miler out there. And I remember Dave Weens, who was on my team at that time, who's won, you know, Leadville multiple times and beat Lance yeah. Armstrong. I said, Dave, do you have any advice for me? And he said, yeah, one foot in front of the other. <laughs> there you go. It's like, yeah. And I so, love that. I, so that was my mentality for the race. One foot in front of the other. If it's walking, if it's pedaling, I just got to keep moving forward. And I think the reason why that's so powerful is because Number one, like it pulls you out of this whole story of like, oh, this hurts or this is hard or how much longer do I have to go? It just completely simplifies everything into one present moment, basic task. You just got to move one foot in front of the other, Um, you know, provided that you're not like in a serious medical emergency. (laughs) And then, you know, the second part is that it removes discomfort and expectations from that because it's like one foot in front of the other. Okay. It hurts. My, you know, I'm cramping or like, I don't want to do this. I'm embarrassed as to what place I'm in. Oh, it's cold. Like there's just all of these reasons that could come in to make you want to quit. And your experience is not, is not rare. Like you can be winning the race and still have all of those thoughts, including your entire plan as to how you're going to quit and what you're going to tell everyone. And maybe I'll just stab my tire and, and, you know, and oh, there's no, I don't, yeah, my, my CO2 didn't work. Like all I've come up with every excuse in the book yeah. to quit. Yeah. <laughs> And the, the simplicity of just keep pedaling and the grit that you have practiced throughout your life with all of these different things that you've done is like a muscle and it's compounded over time. And it's so, so applicable to everywhere and everything that you've done, which makes me want to ask you next about Freedom Solar. And like, how are you the CEO? Like, not like, how are you the CEO in that you don't deserve to be the CEO, but like, how are you the CEO? How the hell are you the CEO of this company? company? (laughs) But like, how did you become to be a CEO of a solar company? Because like you said, this is your life now is a thousand times different from what you expected it to be like 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah. So so the the short story is we just, you know, a friend of mine had started the business had started Freedom Solar before I came to him and we decided to go directly to the customer and kind of change the strategy. And so we, we built the business from there and that was 11 years ago. And if you would have asked me 11 years ago, you know, could I be the CEO of this business today and the size that it is, I would have said, absolutely not. And so I, so I, so I never thought about it in terms of where we are today. What I, what I did think about was, can we go, you know, for us, I think every entrepreneur is trying to solve a problem. So what's the problem that we were trying to solve? And for us, it was like, 
can we offer a service where people easily understand how to go solar? If the answer is yes, can we then go execute that for them? Can they be hands off and we go take care of everything? And so my pea brain could wrap around that idea and still like wraps around that idea pretty heavily because we have to go back to that because the bigger the business gets, you want to make it complicated about all kinds of very complicated analytic things, for example. But at the end of the day, if we just do that successfully, like for example, in our business at Freedom Solar, then we'll be successful. And so, you know, building the business, my idea is always to been to get really smart people who are very effective at what they do and put them on a team. And so that's what we've done over time. That's that's really been that's really the thing for me today. That's the um, you know, the junkie vibe that I'm a junkie for today is we've got this fabulous group of people that all work together that are very vulnerable and we work through problems together just like you would in any kind of team sport thing just like you would the baja 1000 is a team sport thing or um you've got a crew and different riders and everybody has to depend on everybody in order to finish the race it's very much like that at freedom solar and the thing that i've really become a junkie for is the it's a is the the people aspect of it i mean you know, when my chief marketing officer came in my office and we had this conversation about, you know, a year before about hitting a hundred thousand leads in a year and she was visibly shaken up by it. And I talked to her afterwards. I'm like, look, we'll get through this. We'll figure it out. And they'll, you know, I don't know exactly what the answer is, but we'll work through it together. And you fast forward a year down the road and she's sitting in my office in tears and I'm in tears and she's cleared the number by, you know, a long shot and done it under budget. It was like, I didn't think I could do that but I did it. And now I'm like, so I've gotten so much, I got, I got so much confidence out of that. Like that brings me to tears, physical tears, right? Like that is so cool, which is not unlike what we just talked about. You know, you finishing these monster races and me trying to just show up and finish these, the, the, the more piddly ones that I do <laughs> compared to you. And so it's like, it's, it's that same feeling of like, how do you put a team together to go get outsized results and work together as a team? And we try to have a culture around this joint. That's very, where we show up and we work really hard to solve problems, but we also recognize, we try not to have burnout. We try to, we try to really focus on show, we show up and we run really hard. We try to solve complicated problems together. We try to pro pro provide solutions to customers and do that in a teamwork environment. But I'm also really big on not burning out the same way you could in training, right? Like it's not effective for me if you want to show up here and blow 80 hours a week and work till nine o'clock at night and blow yourself up, so to speak. So we have this nice thing of like people showing up training real hard or working really hard. And then at five o'clock or at six o'clock or whenever you think the time is appropriate, go home to your people and do whatever you need to do. Get on a bicycle, spend time with your kids, go on a run, go to an AA meeting, go have dinner with you, whatever it is that you need to do to release the pressure of life that, that, that we're all under every day. Like make a conscious effort to go release the pressure on your life every day. So you come back here the next day and we're good to go fight the battle again. And then at the end of the day, the same thing, go like, figure out what you need to do. And if you need to leave early to go, because your bottle is particularly shaken up and you need to go release the pressure, go do that. And it's been a really eye-opening experience for me. 
the value of what the team can do together if we think about it that way, which is a lot like training, right? Don't overtrain. You're just going to blow yourself up. Think about this more long-term. All of those things that you know as a professional athlete applied to life um, and running a team in a business. And so I'd say that's what I've become a junkie for is when I see us be able to have these wins at a time as a team and as a group of people is a really fulfilling thing. And it's like, you know, we just kind of keep doing this the same, the same way. It's the same thing as training. It's like one day at a time, we're just going to keep like plowing ahead. And I think about my buddies that started Yeti Cooler, Yeti Coolers and have been you know, really successful at, at, at building that, that business into a huge monster. And they were, those guys are, you know, I would characterize them as really sweet, good guys that are pit bulls. And they also recognize what they were good at, not good at, and brought in help when they needed help and have been able to build a really successful business around that. And so we kind of think about it maybe a little bit in the same way that we're willing to, we're, we're probably willing to go through a little more pain than our competitors or stay in the saddle a little bit longer. And then we also try to really help each other as a team, which is, I don't know, I, I, I keep saying that just because it's, uh, it's on my mind today. It's, it's the thing that the culture and the team that I've become a, a junkie for. Yeah. And I mean, as a CEO, your role is the vision for the company and also to set the culture for the company and leadership and the tone of how the business is going to be run is set at the top. So you get to embody that and you get to inspire everybody else that comes to work. And and there's like over 700 employees now for Freedom Solar. Is that right? Yeah. I think we've got almost a thousand. So wow. yeah, we've been, we were at 500 in January and now we're at almost a thousand. So we'll be at a thousand by the end of the year. So it's, it's growing really fast and it's, it's really hard to manage culture when you're doubling the business at a, at a, yeah. at a big scale, because, you know, what is, you know, I, I, I often like to simplify it is the things that I believe is the CEO and the things that I care about. I want that same, I want those same priorities to be felt by the person in Tampa, Florida at our office that I've never met. And so how do you do that? How do you connect the dots so that the person in Tampa, Florida in the field today cares about the same things that I care about and believes the same things I believe. Turns out that's pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty hard thing. To, it's a pretty hard thing to do, but, but it can be done. And so we're spending a lot of time on that these days, which, um, which is, gives me a lot of fulfillment. There's so many questions I'd love to ask about the business, but this isn't a business podcast. So oh. I will put that aside. My husband is the CEO of his business and I've learned a lot about business from him. Um, so there's all these things that I'm interested in, but why did you choose solar out of, and like you could have done anything. Like, why did you choose solar? Yeah. So I, I was just looking for solar for my own house and nobody would call me back. And I go back to the entrepreneurial thing, which is you're trying to solve a problem that in my case I experienced and I figured other people were trying to solve too, which was here I am as a, as a, as a potential customer trying to put solar on my roof or learn about it. And nobody can answer my questions or even pick up the phone. And so I thought, well, there's surely there's other people out there that are having the same experience. Well, it turns out that um, as luck would have it, there are. So I, I think about that a lot because I, I now talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and, and they run ideas by me. I'm like, well, what is the problem you're trying to solve? And is it a big enough problem that you could build a business around that? Whatever it is. And if you can just simplify it to that, and the answer is yes, this is the problem. And yes, it's a, a material size the bigger the problem and the bigger the solution, the, the bigger the opportunity. And in terms of like 
scaling the business? Because whenever you started, I believe it was you, his name's Adrian, right? Your partner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like in his house, you guys were a super startup getting going. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you scale that? And like, while keeping your head screwed on? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, we scaled it from just a couple of us when we started in his garage, basically selling it to, to today, a thousand people. And, you know, it's, it's these incremental, it's these incremental, um, wins, I would say, you know, you grow the business, you realize there's a, there's a service to be met. Like there's people that want to know about solar. Great. Okay. How are we going to do that? We're going to focus on quality. Okay. How are you going to do that? We're going to provide great customer service and great products. Okay. How are you going to do that? Well, this is the plan, right? This is how we're going to do it. So you get that kind of dialed in and then you kind of, we gained some regional traction then we opened the next office. Then we opened the next office and then we were the biggest in the state of Texas. And then we moved to Colorado and we've been able to kind of grow the business geographically to get some scale to it. But the same, the same principle is still, you know, the folks in Tampa are solving the same problem we're solving today in Austin, which is how do we go educate customers on solar? And if they want to do it, do we provide a great experience? It's just that simple. And so often in times, I think and in life, you want to overcomplicate things. It happens all the time around here. We like <laughs> overcomplicate whatever the, you know, the solution to some problem. But like, like if you just boil it down to, in our case, as a service business, providing great customer service. Okay. If everybody provides great customer service, guess what? The customer will tell other people. And we will no longer have to spend so much money on marketing to get customers because it will happen organic. So it's, it becomes this, you know, back to basics or keep it simple idea of just back to the problem, just great customer service. We're going to help people go solar. And if we do that effectively, then we can grow the business and, and, and add a lot of volume, which is what we've been lucky enough to do. Yeah. Just keep pedaling. <laughs> just keep pedaling. Just keep pedaling. I love that. I'm not going to forget that. Yeah. The solar, the solar thing too, is like such a no brainer. Like I think I, I told you offline, like I actually worked for a solar startup in Boulder and was an engineer. And that was my first job after I finished my master's degree. And I got to see the, the startup environment in solar. And this was like in 2007. And it's so cool that people can just put some panels on the roof and then they don't have to, they're free. They don't have to pay for their power anymore, especially if you, well, especially and maybe in some cases only if you live <laughs> in a climate where you, you know, have roofs that can, you know, take in the sun and that are south and east facing <laughs> or have room for like a ground mount. But it's just amazing that that's available to us and that we we all want to do the right thing and that it's it's so easy to do now and that the customer service piece like with anything that anybody is doing, I think especially with how the internet is right now, number one, yeah, people want a good product. Or service, but number two, people want customer service. And if there isn't good customer service, like it's not going to be good for that company. And if there is good customer service, wow, there is so much opportunity for that company. Yeah, it's it's a it's a the the economics of solar have gotten to the point where it's become kind of a no brainer for most people. And you know, my twelve year old daughter is smart enough to say, you know, I can say, hey, do you would you rather you know power your life from the sun that is infinite? And if it's not, we have a bigger problem. To you know, pulling you know fossil fuels out of the ground, and you know anybody can kind of can can get to the right answer there. And so the question is, well, how do I do it, and does it make sense? And the answer to that question is 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 both it's easy and it does make sense. And I think that's you know it's still the early innings for solar today, and in reality, it's still 
you know, 4 million, 5 million homes are now solar powered. Um, and there's probably a hundred million that are potentially good for solar. So a 5% penetration rate. So it's still very low. So there's, I think we're, I think we're, I, I characterize it a lot like the, the telecom industry. You know, I remember as a teenager walking around my house and my mom had the phone in the kitchen with the super long cord and I'm only, I can, <laughs> right. So that's, that's like as far as you could go. And then cell phones are introduced. My dad has this huge cell phone that, you know, has a battery that dies all the time and you can only take super important calls on it. And then the, that phone gets a little bit smaller. Then you fast forward and like we, you know, most of us have like a little Nokia phone and they make that thing so small and tiny. Then you have a flip phone and now we all have iPhones. And like, I'm sitting at my desk, there is no landline phone in this room. There is no landline phone at my house. And we all have this wireless device, which connects us to everything. And it's like, the solar industry or the, the energy industry is going that direction where we all are getting our power a certain way and that is going to change and there will be a world here in the very not too distant future where there are batteries in the back of my house the sun powers those batteries we pull the power for the home from the batteries it is a cost-effective solution and is a decentralized model which I think we'll look back in 20 years and be like, remember when there were these lines all over the roads and we like put up with that and we acted like they weren't there. And we cut down mountains to, yeah, you know, we're pulling this stuff out transmission of, lines. Yeah. yeah. I think that there is going to be a world, my daughter, you know, and my son will live in a world where they laugh about that. And so it's a pretty exciting thing when you think about a really disruptive technology, which is what I think this is. Well, I could talk to you all day. So thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing so vulnerably your story and also what it means to just keep pedaling and what it means to be have a pit bull mentality and be gritty in your life, but also the importance of relationship and team building and seeing something through. You you summarized very, very well my 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 mixed up thoughts. I really, I really enjoyed being on and uh, I'm not gonna forget to just keep pedaling. Thank so you. Where where can people find you and where can people find Freedom Solar? Sure. You can find us online at freedomsolarpower.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff and Instagram. So people can reach out to me and I'm available all the Please do. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this show if you are enjoying it. That way you don't miss other future guests. I also put out a solo episode once a month at the first Thursday of the month. Thank you to those of you who are supporting my work on Patreon and PayPal with your donations at patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And big thanks to those of you who are sharing the show with your friends. Word of mouth and sharing with friends is the best way to help this show grow, as is hitting that subscribe button. And if you're getting value out of it, thank you for helping others get value from it too. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. We'll see you right back here next week. 